Hello, you're listening to Earth Matters. Earth Matters brings you environment and social justice stories. Today's story was produced in the studios of Radio 2XX Canberra on the lands of Ngunnawal and Ngambri peoples for Radio 3CR in Melbourne, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm back, Horridge. We are all in a climate emergency. Animals are in crisis. We have seen at least a billion animals die, not including billions of insects, and this number is rapidly rising as animals face starvation in destroyed ecosystems, incinerated. Responding to this on the front line are the wildlife rescue groups They have always been there, caring for injured animals and orphans, but now they are massively mobilising to care for the animals in the burnt-out forests. These animals now have no food or water, some injured. Today, Earth Matters brings you a glimpse of the life of wildlife carer Belinda and plugs you into some places where you too can help. My name's Belinda Hogarth-Boyd. I'm the president of Wild Care Queanbeyan. We're licensed under the Biodiversity Conservation Act to rescue, rehabilitate and release injured and ill native wildlife. Uh, we operate in the Queanbeyan region. Uh, the wild care area covers 22,000 square kilometres. So we cover out to... Tarago, almost to Goulburn, where uh, Wires Goulburn starts, out towards Braidwood, where Native Animal Rescue Group starts, um, up towards Cooma, which is where Looking After Our Kosciuszko Orphans starts, so that's Laoko, and towards the coast, um, and then... South Coast wildlife sort of kicks in. We cover to Young and part of the way to Cootamundra and then Wires kicks in. So you see there's already a lot of groups involved. So there are 27 wildlife groups across New South Wales. Belinda, the other day I just went to the park and I just couldn't hold out anymore. I cried. To think of the animals, what has happened was just... So gut-wrenching. Now you're trying to heal and help the animals. Tell us what you're doing. Yes, it's a very challenging situation. We actually have had some experience in fires. So there was the Kawula fires, which is a rural residential area. We had a fire there about a year ago. So we're probably better set up than most groups We'd already started setting up a emergency response team. So we have three teams, recovery, rescue and support. So most people are interested in the recovery side, which is the uh, black walks into fire grounds to rescue native wildlife. Uh, That part hasn't really been activated as yet because it's still a live fire ground. So we don't have the same access rights as the rural fire service. So we need the fire ground to be declared safe for us to be able to enter and look for wildlife. So at the moment, we're actually focusing on support, um, which is a bit different from what is perhaps happening in other parts of the country. 
so we've actually started intensively support feeding the wildlife that's remaining. So the approach has been to door knock adjoining properties, uh, get the agreement of property owners that we can access their property and leave food for the wildlife. So the food stock consists of um, hay, Econo mix, which is a, uh, a pellet formula made for wildlife, um, supplementary feed of grasses and, and flowers, and a mix of, of fruit and vegetables. So we've had some great support from local businesses in terms of donating some of that. Members of the public are donating the browse, which is the supplementary vegetation matter. And we're fundraising towards um, supplying the hay. So based on our experience in the Carwoola fires, after that event, we will support feeding for eight months. So that's pretty much what we're preparing for. So this will be a marathon, not a sprint. What's the hay for? The hay is, uh, it's a good feedstock for both kangaroos and wombats and we put the pellets in for for a bit of a bit of mix as well and the other food stock helps supplement that but also supports smaller animals such as possums and and birds we are also supporting the food for wildlife program so we have set up food collection points at local businesses where people can pick up either some Econo mix, which is the pellet feed, or some bird seed and put it out to support animals um, on an ongoing basis. And if it's a larger volume of animals they start getting, then we can include them in the in the food drops. So we're sort of trying to support feed in a range of different ways. Um, the bird seed in particular, because birds will travel a lot further than the other animals and, and have the capacity to um, end up in all sorts of places. So encouraging support feeding, because in addition to being drought stressed, many of the animals are now displaced. Does this mean there's a role for people in the cities as well, like in Canberra, to put out birdseed? Absolutely. So um, I have been doing some local media coverage and encouraging everyone, regardless of where you are, to put out some supplementary food, depending on the species that you have. So birdseed is a great one because the birds are very mobile, but to put out water for all of our wildlife. Is there a different regime for people that live in places that have had fires nearby? For the fires nearby, they can join as a food drop and we can support and provide the, the feed. So we're fundraising to be able to provide the, the food uh, with the cooperation of the property owner. And we've got all the links there on our show homepage for Earth Matters. Take a look. You'll find everything you need if you want to support and maybe even get involved over time. I can imagine that this is a national effort that's starting up. Are you anticipating a lot more people moving into volunteering in this field? I hope so. We've had a lot of interest in recovery work. I know how moved people have been by the the fire-affected animals. That's not always the area where we need people, though. Uh, entering fire grounds does require years of experience in being able to identify injured animals and assess 
and in many cases we're using a tranquilizer gun to bring animals into care. So there's less capacity to support in that way, but there's a lot of opportunities for people to volunteer in terms of putting out food stock, providing food, um, transport in particular, because a lot of the fires are in national parks, which means we're organising food from all over the place and having to coordinate it into a location. So a lot of the, a lot of the effort is actually around logistics and, and driving things around. I saw uh, someone called Sarah Day who Daniel Bensdale had set up a Google map with locations where bowls of water and food were being deployed. Have you got a map too? Um, I have set up a Google map um, and I'm continuing to populate it as we get more um, property owners allowing us to um, to use their blocks. Um, I just need to confirm with the property owners to that I can make that information public um, because sadly not everyone appreciates wildlife and we don't want uh, to encourage any shooting. Shooting? Golly. Mm. <laughs> sadly, they're the sort of risks we, we need to think about because particularly a lot of these fires are in um, rural areas where there may be the perception that wildlife is competing with livestock for uh, for ground feed, and it is a bit of a tense relationship sometimes. My specialty is in venomous snakes because I, I feel really sad that they're misunderstood and that people don't want them around. It's a bit of a bit of an unusual one. Most people think about the furries, um, but I really feel for the reptiles because they're, um, they're a bit of an underdog. Well, what do you leave out for a dispossessed uh, reptile, a lizard, for example? What sort of food do you leave for them? They will eat the, the fruit. Uh, blue tongue lizards love um, fruit, particularly fond of strawberries. Um, a lot of the, the sweet fruits and strawberries, mangoes, berries, those sorts of things. And a range of different water dishes when people are putting them out. So the the saucer off a plant pot is great for reptiles because they're only little and they need to be able to, to get into the water. So a, a plant saucer with a rock in it so that when they climb in it, they don't upend it um, because they they do drink by climbing into the water in, in many occasions. And I've been encouraging local people to actually put this put water out in this way for the snakes because it keeps the snakes away from people's houses because that's what they're looking for. They're thirsty like all the other animals. What about echidnas? You mean... You, do you have ants in the fridge for them or <laughs> what do you do for uh, a, an echidna who needs a feed? We've got one living in our driveway. Oh, that's fat, fascinating. Um, so, yes, they do feed on, on ants. We do have an echidna expert and we're learning a lot about them all the time. 
And that's the amazing thing about wildlife volunteering is learning so much about our wildlife. There's actually very little known and a lot of it is taught via experience with other with other carers and we, we learn about the behaviour and how that animal will respond to being in captivity and how we can best support it to to heal because the ultimate goal is to, to let it go again. So there is a bit of a slurry mix you can make up for echidnas. I'd have to check with our echidna expert what we could put in that though. I'll have to take that one on notice. Right, so mixing things up is part of this job. Absolutely, absolutely. When I um, so I, I in addition to doing reptiles, I also do uh, bats. So um, that's a little bit on the on the ghoulish side, perhaps. I like the micro bats. I remember my mother being horrified when I told her I'd put mealworms in my blender. So mealworms, goat's milk, a couple of other animal supplements to make up a, a custard. Uh, we call it bat custard to be able to to feed the little guys. So uh, we've got some coming in at the moment in terms of a tree came down. So we've got 20 bats that have come in together. So we try and farm them out to different carers because the pups will all need milk feeds. They're, they're mammals, so they're on milk and transitioning onto bat custard, which brings them into the insectivore diet that's normal for, for little bats. Belinda Hogarth there, the president of Wildcare Queanbeyan. You're with Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories around this beautiful continent. I'm Beck Horridge. The state environment departments are charged with coordinating wildlife bushfire rescue. For example, the Victorian Department of Environment, Land and Water and Planning has useful information on how we can all respond to the animal crisis. It urges people not to enter the fire grounds. You need a training and a licence to do that. Even after a fire has passed, these places should be considered dangerous areas. Wildlife triage, that's medical help units, have been established at Malakuta and Bansdale... If you see wildlife that appears to be injured or distressed as a result of the fire, please contact your local Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning Office or the Fires Incident Control Centre. Be careful in areas around the fire ground. Wildlife will move away from the fire front and burnt areas. Motorists should be extra vigilant for animals alongside roadsides. Take care of your attempting to help injured or distressed animals. Improper capture and handling techniques can cause further distress or injury to the animal and put the rescuer at risk. All injured wildlife must be taken to a vet or an authorised wildlife shelter or foster care. Donate money. They need it. But do watch out for scams. Make sure the group is either a bona fide charity by checking to see that they are registered as one or looking to see what they actually do. You cannot care for wildlife at home unless you are authorised under the Wildlife Act 1975 or a registered vet. 
If you see wildlife resting in your garden, you should keep people and pets away to allow the animal to rest and recover. During bushfires, local wildlife shelters can be inundated with inquiries from people wanting to help either directly or indirectly. Check on social media or community notice boards to see if there are any specific requests from shelters for items that they may need or not need in some cases. I think at the moment they need cash. To help wildlife around your home, leave out shallow bowls of water that wildlife can access. Make sure to add some rocks or sticks in the bowl to allow small animals to escape should they fall in. If you have a swimming pool and live near a fire affected, wildlife may seek water or refuge in your pool. Drape something over the edge of the pool so that animals can climb out should they fall in. Check your pool and the skimmer box regularly for any trapped animals. Help maintain safe access for wildlife by grating out of the fire area by keeping your dogs and cats contained and away from wildlife. Those instructions came from the Victorian Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning. You can contact them on 136 186 to find a wildlife shelter or foster carer near you in Victoria, Australia. The New South Wales Department of Planning, Industry and Environment also has a list of licensed wildlife rescue and rehabilitation groups. Let's hear now more from Belinda, President of Wildcare Queanbeyan. In terms of the the fires, South Coast Wildlife Rescue is being really hammered with the Currawong fire. They have two flying fox colonies within the national parks there and Last time I checked with them, they'd had 300 flying foxes come into care, all juveniles. And because mum will abandon the, abandon the pups and they're too little to fly, so they're, they're left in the, in the tree, in the creche. So trying to deal with huge volumes that wildlife groups really aren't set up for. So they've been sending them out in boxes of 20. Our group has taken some. They're sending them all over the state to try and get people to, to look after them because there are very specialised needs and they all, they all take time so people can join their, their local group and support animals that are impacted because we work very collaboratively together in terms of drawing upon skills and capability that we might not have in our in our own group. So there's a lot of cross-pollination and sharing of, of training and transferring animals where we can to make sure that we can help all of them. There's a lot of roles in an organisation like yours. For example, I happen to know that accountants are a bottleneck in environmental non-government organisations. They're always looking for someone to tally up the books for them, right? It's amazing because everyone thinks about the hands-on operational stuff, but there is so much more that goes along behind that. So uh, I don't actually have any animals in care at the moment and my skills are actually best used promoting the organisation and writing grant applications. And when we get requests through the website of how can I help, I say I'd love someone to write grant applications and build possum boxes. And that's not what people are expecting uh, we have enough capability and it does require specialist skills to do the the hands-on stuff and people can build up to that. But there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff in communications and fact sheets and writing for the media and press releases, which we're seeing in the fire activity now because ordinarily we just go about our business and we don't, we don't have a lot of interest from the media. 
How do you look after yourselves through all of this? Well, as the president of Wildcare, that's something I've taken on because wildlife people are notorious for burning themselves out because we are so passionate and purposeful about what we do. You can't say to people, no, 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 we won't take that animal. We've got too many. We'll, we'll euthanize. That is the worst case scenario for every wildlife carer. So people will often take on more than they can cope with. And we always struggle with having enough people because whenever we have enough resources, we expand what we do so we can do more. So there will never be enough, but that's part of the, the passion that goes with it is trying to do as much as we possibly can. So I'm trying to encourage members to manage their boundaries and a couple of our support teams, I've said, okay, this is set up, it's running now. How about we make this a rotational role? And I get a very suspicious answer that says, you know, what do you mean by that? Uh And I said, well, how about you do one month on, one month off so you can still be involved but you're not going to burn yourself out. This is going to go on for at least another year. So let's put things in place to look after ourselves because many people will put the animals first. We need to think about preparing ourselves for the future, but also preparing our wildlife for the future. So wild care, being in the Queanbeyan area, has started to get koalas in the last probably five or six years because the natural range of animals is shifting. So they're occurring a lot further south than they ever have. And we start getting weird calls for koalas. We had one turn up very cutely in Eucalyptus Drive in Jerobombra, which is on the outskirts of Queanbeyan. And there aren't koalas there. So we're trying to track out where they are. So we base it on, you know, it's dehydrated. We think it's been out for about three days. Um, They cover up to 10 kilometres a a night. So it comes from within a 30-kilometre radius of where it was found. So the animals are starting to move around. So... I'm optimistic maybe we could use this as an opportunity to start planting food stocks to accommodate the shifting range of our animals. So at the moment, there aren't large numbers of the right sort of feed trees for koalas in this region because they've never been here before. But there's an opportunity now. Why don't we start planting the right sort of trees? And so they have food trees and shelter trees and scratching trees, and they use different um, parts of the environment for different purposes. So in planning how we're going to respond, thinking out, okay, what what wildlife is going to use this area in the next 25 years, and let's plan for that. Um, a great example is the Kosciuszko to Coast project underway with Landcare. So they're planting out the the she-oaks that grow the, the, the little nuts, but the trees only mature and produce them at 12 years of age. And so they're starting to plant the trees now to create 
food for that animal, knowing that that's a common um, flight path that they use. So there's scope for us to do lots of good things out of this. So I'm trying to think about it that way. And I've started to reach out to other organisations. So I got in touch with Greening Australia to see if they would be able to start encouraging growing of native plants because that will be the next thing. In the short term, we could harvest them and use them for some of the food stocks we've got. And in the longer term, we can then continue to grow them and and keep them for planting out in these devastated areas. Belinda Hogarth-Boyd, thank you so much for talking to Earth Matters and we'll be watching closely to see how this develops. Despite the massive scale of now incinerated Australian animals and ecosystems, the Morrison government has only offered a one-off $50 million payment to buy wildlife care. This is a tiny fraction of what is needed. Our wildlife carers are busting their guts to do what they can, but they're begging for bandages, syringes and animal feed, including back custard. They need money in their bank accounts and supplies on their shelves today. Check out the links at our Earth Matters show homepage at 3cr.com.au forward slash Earth Matters to find the petition telling Morrison that his response is not good enough. And as the climate crisis increasingly harms animals, we need the government to commit to spending whatever it takes to save the lives and fund long-term planning for the recovery of species. On our page, there is also links to some organisations that are doing the work. Jump in. You've been listening to Earth Matters. This edition of Earth Matters was produced for Radio 3CR in Melbourne on Wiradjuri Country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Federation for their generous financial support. And if you'd like to get in touch with Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page on Earth Matters 3CR Radio or follow us on Twitter at EarthMRadio. If you'd like to listen to or share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. The Earth Matters team will be back next week with more environmental and social justice stories from all over this beautiful blue planet. I'm Beck Horridge. On today's Earth Matters, we have heard the songs of the superb wrens, honey eaters, rufous whistlers, olive-backed oriole from A Morning in the Australian Bush album by Listening Earth.